0: Hey, NoosaCast listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Please help us grow by subscribing or sharing the NoosaCast with friends, or follow us on Facebook, X, TikTok, or Instagram.
1: Now let's get the show on the road. And anytime you get slammed on your head, you can pretty much assume that was not according to the plan, so I kind of just roll with the punches, or in that case, rolled with the slam and kept looking for what was next.
0: Welcome to the NoosaCast. What is a NoosaCast? It's where we bring local folk stories to life through conversation. All right, NoosaCast listeners, welcome to another exciting episode of the NusaCast. Uh, we're just really happy that you continue to to tune in and, and enjoy what we're putting out there for you. Uh, we think we have a decent product, and we're we're getting better all the time, Joe.
2: Yeah, I would agree, Tash. We have another good one, uh, a, a new subject for us: a little MMA, uh, you little UFC, little wrestling. We we talk it all with. With Keegan Genrich from uh, well, state champion out of Hortonville in 2012, but he's an MMA fighter and he is literally on the doorstep of, of UFC. The, the, the stuff we see on on the cage fighting, the the, the ESPN and, and Fox Sports and all that, the, the cage fighting. with Keegan, he's he is right there. He's one of those guys, and it was uh, it was a fascinating interview, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I think I think our listeners are gonna to learn a little bit, and now you got somebody to pull for too. When you're watching those and uh, doing your pay-per-view. So hopefully hopefully we get to uh, hear his name announced in the UFC rink in the near future. And, uh, you know, when that happens, it, we're going to have him back on to talk Absolutely. a little bit about what happened for sure. So, um, yeah, great interview. You're going to enjoy it. But, uh, you know, Joe, I guess we have to talk a little Packers. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are a little disappointed, but, you know, um, great season and uh, it would have been nice to knock off the mighty 49ers but uh who would have guessed that the Packers when they're at two and five would have even been in that position
2: well that's true Tash um heck I even called it I said the season was over with and lo and behold <laughs> they're two weeks into the playoffs but you know with, with that said and you you look back at, at history a little bit Son of a gun, Tash, they had the opportunity. They they yeah. well, ifs and can if if ifs and buts were candies and nuts or I don't know, whatever the saying is, the Packers <laughs> should have won the gosh darn game. You know, I mean they had it won, yeah. Tash. And you don't you don't get these opportunities. Maybe maybe other than Buffalo, is there a team I feel like that just makes the playoffs and just gets gut wrenching? defeats every other year i mean you 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 lose an onside kick you give up a fourth and 26 you you're a double digit you know uh favorite in in nfc championships and super bowls and you lose those and and this is just another one of those losses where you had the game won you should have won that game and and they didn't so that from that standpoint it's disappointing obviously love looks looks exciting right the young team i mean yeah, the future well, is bright, but you gotta get them when they're, gonna, when they're there. He's gonna
0: he's going to get paid because his contract is
2: yeah. is up. So
0: <laughs> the Packers will be paying him. But you know, from the other standpoint, good teams find ways to win, and San Francisco found a way to win. They're a good team, yeah, and they've been a good team. They're built, they're built, yeah, they're built to to dominate. And the Packers had their chances for sure. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm going to be be that glass half full. I, I, I'm excited for the future. I, I know it's disappointing for the loss, but I'm excited for the future. And, um, you know, I was thinking we're going to have four or five years possibly of trying to figure some things out. But these guys came to play, and uh, they've shown a lot of potential. And hopefully uh, that potential can continue for the next uh, next several years.
2: No, absolutely. I mean, some would say this was a textbook way of rebuilding. I mean, we all kind of thought this was a rebuilding year and to be able to make it to the playoffs. I mean, that, that, that folks is how you rebuild a, rebuild a team. So on to 2024, well, we'll see who wins the Super Bowl this year. I guess low key kind of rooting for the lions. It'd be kind of cool to see them win. And uh yeah, we'll see what the pack can do next year. I tell you, Tasha, absolutely. another team that's in fuego in this area. And we, we, talk last week to appleton north boys basketball coach chris Colette had a great conversation with him while, while his team continued a, a hot run they, they, they tuesday night they they uh, they went on a 35 15 run they were down by nine uh, against kakana uh chris talked about the game said that was going to be a tough game and and they they ended up pulling out an 11 point win on the road and they had a yeah. tight one against Hortonville a couple of nights later where they where they sank a free throw with no time left on the clock to, to yeah. win that. And it's setting up for the showdown January 30th against Oshkosh North. That's going to be a, a heck of a rematch. That's that's going to be a great, great game.
0: Yeah, this should be a good game. And, and it's an exciting team to watch in the area. We got a lot of exciting teams uh, playing some, some good ball right now. So, um, yeah, you know what? This time of year is a lot of fun. Uh, because it, it is down to the to the nitty gritty, so to speak. Uh, we're getting ready for playoff runs. We're getting ready for conference tournaments. And uh, the end of the winter season, I, I, you hate to maybe not hate to say it, but it's coming.
1: It's it coming is. along
0: quick. So and spring sports will start just in
2: in a couple months. Well, tosh after all this ice bring it on man I'm ready for spring bring it on <laughs> <laughs> little march yeah. madness I know you before we hit record tonight you were talking about um not only is basketball you know lining up here for the for the postseason hockey is uh you guys yeah. are getting all seated in, in, in playoffs and and tournament play starts here within the next week or so in, in that sport as well
0: yeah yeah absolutely we're looking at conference tournaments next week and then we have kind of a week To get a couple more games in, and then it's it's time for regionals, and uh, that's always an exciting time and heartbreaking as well, uh, because you know it's one and done if your your season's over. But um, yeah, that'll be exciting too. We have a lot of we have some good teams in the area who can possibly make some runs uh, to uh, to to the finals, the state championships as well. So um, we'll
2: be keeping an eye out on those as well. No, absolutely. We'll we'll snag some interviews with some of these different sports. But really, Tash, the the most pressing news and and, and an update that I need from you, tough week of weather. How's the ice rink holding up?
0: The ice rink is all set. It's good to go. Um, Put the final touches on it. We got ice. Uh, Even this week, with temperatures above freezing, as long as it can get close to freezing or a little below freezing at night, it's solid ice now. We don't have any water underneath. Uh, we fixed the snow that was in areas from the uh, heavy snow. But uh, rinks do a kind of interesting thing when you when they're not totally frozen. All that snow pushes down the ice. The water comes up and slushifies the snow, and it just creates ice. So um, it's in good shape. We got the netting up. Uh, hopefully, the, the boys will have some some time to get out on the rink and maybe hopefully get, get a little bit of time on it. We'll see. <laughs> now, now, do you
2: put the skates Speaking on? Of- do you put the skates on, or do you man the fire so everybody stays warm?
0: I man the fire and have a bourbon in my hand. Yeah, there you go. That's the way to roll. <laughs> Speaking of uh, ice and snow, I got to give shout out to Aaron's over the weekend. They had their big. Uh, is it? I can't remember the exact name. It's the King of the Snow. Yeah. Uh, they had the fat tire. They had some skiing. They had, you know, fire pits out there, and you know, a good festival type atmosphere on Sunday. Yeah. So if, uh, if you were out there, it was a fantastic, uh, time for that. Um, and if not, you can still make it out to Aaron's Nordic center to, to see all the, uh, good things that they have to offer out there.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. Winter is just cranking up Tash, We're, we're a week of winter here. It feels like, and, uh, yeah. hope it's nice and quick. Maybe what six weeks of winter. Let, let's do that. Let's go out to Aaron's. Let's snowshoe. Let's cross country ski. Let's. Let's, I got the fat tire out this week. I did do a lot of that, so that that was kind of fun. Only felt only go. diggered twice this week, Tash.
0: Well, <laughs> I do that on a daily basis, so. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> One time I had no idea, second time I saw it coming, so <laughs> fun fun the life of yeah. a biker.
0: I say the roads are probably going to clear up over the next couple of days for you, so. Yeah. I should if you digger now that's your own fault
2: (laughs) it is yes first first time i've I've diggered so i I blame the ice but uh yeah that that was that was tough going yeah the the weather's a little bit nicer now well tash i've had a good week i'm excited for this episode Uh, we've got a little old look at new coming up and we got a good one for you folks so like subscribe tell a friend check out the newscast check out our youtube page the newscast Check out our social media. Lindsay's killing it. She puts out great content almost on a daily basis. So, yeah, yeah come along for the ride, right?
0: All right, News Cast listeners, welcome to that old look at new, where we take a closer look at the history around us. Um, no matter where that history might be, we always seem to find something that seems to be a little interesting, at least interesting to us. So, Joe, what do you got for an old look at new this week?
2: Well, Tash, just came across my desk the other day as I was, I was sitting here. And, you know, we all love Spotted Cow, right? I mean, it's a Wisconsin legend at this point. But I didn't realize this. Back in 1845 in New Glarus, long before we knew what Spotted Cow even was, there were Swiss immigrants that lived there. And they were the first immigrants to make cheese in the state of Wisconsin back in 1845 in New Glarus. They started making Swiss, well, I would assume Swiss cheese. Um, So they were the first American cheese factory, and it was opened by Chester Hazen in Ladoga in 1864. Today, Wisconsin is a leading cheesemaker state in the Union. And that was, uh, I picked that up from a little, uh, little flyer called Memorable Wisconsin Events, talking about you know just different memorable events and the leading cheese state was was one of them of course so
0: yeah yeah new Glarus is awesome if you've if you've never been down there it's a huge swiss village and um it's it's pretty awesome and you know obviously the brewery is really cool as well uh stopping in there and checking things out but yeah it's a cool little town um nice yeah great place to visit
2: oh absolutely so no one now for Spotted Cow. They first made Swiss cheese back there in 1845, and then that led to the cheese factory shortly after in 1864. There you go. So, Tosh, while I nice. enjoy my cheese, what uh, what am I going to be listening to from you Is as, uh, as an old look at well, new?
0: I must be stuck on baseball contracts because I found another one. <laughs> nice. Um, so uh, we looked at Babe Ruth last week. This week we're going to 1950, uh, January 24th, and – um. Player by the name of Jackie Robinson signed the highest contract in Dodger history at thirty five thousand dollars. Thirty five (laughs) thousand
2: (laughs) dollars, man, man, worth every penny of that. That's for sure. But goodness sakes, absolutely,
0: yeah. Nineteen fifty, only thirty five thousand dollars, and now the Dodgers signed Otani for seven hundred million.
2: Does thirty five thousand dollars even buy you an at bat? Not on Otani's contract. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. Maybe one pitch, 35000 a pitch. How about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Somebody did break that down. I can't remember what it is, but it's crazy when you look at those numbers.
2: Yeah, those numbers so, are not really, they just it's not even real. It's its fantasy. It's got to be. And
0: remember, wasn't it – it was last week, Babe Ruth signed a one-year deal in oh, – I can't – now I, I'm totally spacing the, uh, the year it was, but he signed – Signed yeah. a one-year deal for thirty-five thousand dollars right. as well, but the, I, it that was, was back. The 20s. I think that was that was the twenties, yeah. So, yeah, Dodger. I mean, to think that the Dodgers' highest contract as in nineteen fifty at that time. So, kind of interesting to see yeah. where things have progressed since then.
2: Boy, skyrocketed. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. To be a professional yeah. athlete, only in my dreams, yeah. Tash. Only in my dreams.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs>
2: well, another riveting rendition of an old look at new.
0: Hey, News to Cast listeners, we have a great interview today. Um, we are talking to 2012 state champion uh, Keegan Genrich, who is also uh, the LFA. Lightweight champion for MMA. Um, this is a great interview, Joe.
2: Oh, it was Tash, freshly belted lightweight yeah. title holder, and we we got to see the belt. Tash couldn't physically touch it, but uh, that's the first time I actually saw in person like a heavy a a, a traditional belt. And, and Keegan said it was heavy. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah this was a great story. Uh, we talked a lot about his MMA career so far, what he does, how he trains. Uh, touch base on uh, youth wrestling. Uh, high school wrestling his dad's the uh, coach at hortonville uh talked a little bit about that but um what a great young man and uh you know this this is this is a lot of fun if you don't know a lot about mma uh you're gonna get a chance to to hear a little bit about it and what it what it entails and uh and you know we're We're definitely pulling for him here at the NoosaCast for sure.
2: Ah, absolutely, Tasha. Cool as can be. One of the you know we've said it before. One of the cool things about the NoosaCast is we find really unique people. And who knew that we had an MMA fighter in in, in the Fox Cities and and like within sniffing distance of of the UFC? I mean, that's big time cage wrestling, the stuff we watch on TV, you know, he's doing it. He's, he's one step. He's right there. He's sniffing the big leagues. And, and, uh, it was really, really cool. And what a great guy right here in, in, in Appleton and Hortonville, man, right in our backyard. He was, he was an impressive guy for sure.
0: Yeah. So we hope you enjoy this. Uh, you'll get to hear a little bit about, um, his business as well. Um, training and, uh, working with youth wrestlers. So sit back and enjoy and, uh, we hope you enjoy another interview with the NusaCast. Appreciate you coming on. I, I'm gonna be honest. I've heard a ton about you from my son. So I've been hearing for years about how how much of a badass you are.
1: So... Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: So it was uh, when he mentioned that you just won the title. He's like, you should have him on the podcast, and I'm like. Yeah, absolutely. And That's this is
1: super cool. Thank you, guys,
2: for having me.
0: Yeah, this is super exciting. So, oh,
2: it's a pleasure to meet you. I was hoping to see the belt, man. Where is that?
1: I'll go grab it. I'll be right back. <laughs> All <Bye>. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll hold it up for a little bit. It's surprisingly uh, heavy though. My dad had to hold my grandma up so she could hold it.
2: <laughs> That's so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I know we're an audio pad, podcast, so for the listeners, uh, Keegan has his has his belt, a uh, heavy belt. It, it's sweet, man. That is awesome. Covers the whole entire chest. You look like Iron Man.
1: I, and I get to keep it. I don't have to give it back, so... That's awesome. Put it in a a trophy case and hang it up somewhere. That's awesome.
2: Now, did I hear I have to apologize. I don't know much about the fight game. I've always enjoyed like boxing. That's sort of what I grew up on. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, being from here, we're more football guys. But I sat down this afternoon and just watched a whole bunch of your fights and really got into it. Really, really, honestly, enjoyed it. Now, did you did I hear this right? You received your black belt as well the night that you won the, the championship?
1: Yeah, I I got my black belly and uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu on uh, right after in the cage after the fight um, from my head coach, which was which made it even a little bit more special of a night.
2: Ah, oh, that That's that awesome. had to be how many? How long does that take the process to get there? How many years has that taken you to, to get to that that stage?
1: Um, typically, they say it's about a ten year process. Um, so I've been doing uh, like the submission grappling, the Jiu Jitsu for about ten or eleven years now. Um, but also wrestling um, for about 25 or 26 years now so it's really kind of been a, a lifetime on the mat
2: Oh, well, it really has I mean it's 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 absolutely amazing I mean I think right off the bat dude how do you take blows to the head I mean you you, you constantly get beat up what is your life like how do you take that how does that is that that's just life I guess right
1: yeah and in, in 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 training we we hit each other but we hit each other not trying to to hurt each other so you know my in in training you know m- you know in the fight it's it's different it's it's some more serious consequences so um but in, in, in it's not like I'm I'm fighting fighting every day it, yeah if my partner hits me in training or sparring, he's trying to hit me, but he's not trying to break my nose, if that makes sure. sense. So, oh, absolutely. um, you know, it's a rough sport and I'm sore on a, a pretty regular basis through training camp, but we try to keep, we try to keep ourselves, um, healthy and concussion lists, uh, during, during training camp. So the, the fights fights are obviously a little bit more serious of a deal. Um, and, and you know, how do you, how do you take those blows? I think, um, you'll hear people talk about how if you're in better shape, um, like cardiovascular wise, if you're better conditioned, you you can typically hold up uh, to more of those blows throughout the fight. Um, so, I w- yeah, that and, and when you see the kick come in or the punch come in, you can brace for it a little bit more. The ones you they'd say you get knocked out by the punches and kicks that you don't that you don't see the ones that kind of surprise you.
0: Uh, I would imagine. How long do you train for a single fight?
1: so i will i training is really what i like to do and i'm I'm teaching and and coaching on a daily basis so i don't ever take too long of a break from from being in the gym and training but if when i have a fight scheduled i would like to have eight weeks where i have it planned out specifically i'm going to do this workout on this day in the morning and this workout in the evening so about about eight Eight weeks, six to eight weeks of a of a scheduled specific, uh, we call it a training camp. Okay.
2: How many hours a day is that? So a typical training camp, are you up at 5 a.m.?
1: Um, So if I'm in training camp, I'll usually do a morning workout and an afternoon workout six days a week. So two days, six days a week. And then the seventh day is like an active recovery day um, where I'm not necessarily just sitting around doing nothing. But I wouldn't call it a workout. Like maybe I'll go ride, ride, ride my bike for 30 minutes or go for a light run. So I, I'm doing something just about every day, two day, two days, six days a week, and then an active recovery day. Um, so I would say about two 90 minute sessions, usually a day. Got it. What
2: kind of bike do you ride?
1: Um, I have a specialized, um, more of a cross trainer and then I have a trek road bike. Yeah, I nice. do. I do triathlons in the summer too. Um, ah, good wow. for you. So I have a decent little bike. Yeah,
2: I always, <laughs> I always joke with people. It's become a joke on this podcast. I haven't put a gas, uh, a tank of gas in my car yet uh, in 2023. Ride my bike everywhere.
1: That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna kind of
0: backtrack for a bit. So I want to talk about your youth. When did you start wrestling? What, what, what drew you into wrestling?
1: Um, so my dad is a former wrestler and um, wrestling coach my dad has been the the wrestling coach in Hortonville for man like between over 20 years now wow. um, probably closer to 25 years so I, I really grew up around it um, so I started I would you know we'll say I started wrestling at like four or five in like the youth club about as soon as I could okay um, and and did that for a couple of years and then i would say as i got to be more like 9 10 11 12 i realized it was something that i was really really passionate about and um you know set the goal of wanting to be a state champion someday and i think uh and then i think in about like fourth or fifth grade i actually started doing the varsity practices um <laughs> up in hortonville wow. so i think that toughened toughened me up at a pretty young age um taking my lumps there but it and it gave me gave me some people to, to that my dad had a state champ, um, in Hortonville when I was about in sixth or seventh grade. And that gave me something to look up to, um, yeah. and aspire to. So, um, started re- like, I would say about like, about 12, I got pretty serious about, you know, wanting to be a state champion and wrestling in college and stuff like that. And I've been, been taking it pretty seriously ever since.
0: Is wrestling the only sport you did in like middle school and high school, or did you no, do I, multiple?
1: I played multiple sports. I wrestled, played football, and th- I wrestled and played football all four years of high school. And okay. I played played baseball my freshman year. All right. Um, and f- figured out pretty quickly that wasn't going to be my sport. After my <laughs> freshman year, I, I hit about 198 <laughs> playing freshman ball. Um, but I was I was the varsity quarterback um, in Hortonville my junior and senior year. So I That's had awesome. a lot of fun doing that as well.
2: Hortonville's athletic facilities are pretty sweet these days. Nice football stadium.
1: Man, things have really changed a lot since I've been there. Um, <laughs> things started to get a little bit nicer as I was getting towards the end of my high school career. Um, but it's really night and day. So I I get to, my dad is still the coach there. So I go and do a lot of my strength and conditioning out in their facilities. So it's it's, it's pretty cool that I, I didn't get to take advantage of it then, but I am now.
2: What, what does your dad think of your career? He's got to be proud.
1: Yeah, he's really proud. Um, And it's cool how much extra time uh, I get to spend with my dad. Um, you know, and also my my oldest, youngest brother, Kelly, um, the middle brother, trains with me and is one of my trainers and training partners. So the fact that I get to see my dad a couple times a week and spend time with him with something that we, we've we been doing together for a long time um, means a lot. And me and Kelly get to train together four or five, six days a week. So um, it's been, it's been really special to have my loved ones uh, along for the along on this ride as well.
2: Uh, That's great. I I love to hear that.
1: And who better to like motivate me than my dad? Like I'm not like my dad comes in to run a workout. He knows what I'm capable of first off. So he knows if I'm slacking and I'm not, you know, like you can't, you can't (laughs) slack off in front of your dad. You don't want to get beat up in front of your dad. or your mom. Um, So it's good motivation
2: that's right the honesty of a dad there's there's nothing better so when when you're in in hortonville high school you know 2012 you win this the the state championship but did you did you know did you realize that mma was was maybe a possibility for you in in the future was that was that ever a consideration at that age
1: Uh, i'll be uh i would say i was a fan of mma um growing up you know as i got into middle school and high school we would there's some fighters I started to like to watch. Anderson Silva was really yeah. huge at this time. So I was a he was an exciting fan favorite that I liked watching. I was really focused on on being a wrestler. I thought I would go I, I, I got a scholarship to the University of Wisconsin. Um so I went and wrestled for the Badgers for a year and really my my plans were to to wrestle and and then and go from there. I ended up leaving school after my freshman year. Um, and growing up, I thought I would always be a a professional athlete of some sort, whether that was, you know, football or wrestling and then coaching wrestling. So when I quit wrestling and and dropped out of school, I was feeling like I really had a lot of athletic potential that would, that I didn't want to waste. Um, and I'd already put so much time into wrestling and building up that skill that, uh, MMA seemed like I always thought I would be good at it. Um, with my build and you know just kind of my physical appearance maybe it, looking at me i don't look like your typical mma fighter i'm a little bit skinny right a little bit uh reserved so i kind of like had a chip on my shoulder i think maybe people thought that i wouldn't be very good at it and you know not, and i thought i would so um yeah, after I I quit wrestling and left school, I thought it you know that was would maybe be something that I could uh, make a better lifestyle for myself or make a career out of. You know, sure. I thought it would, know, and and it ended up being a a great idea because uh, I get to do what I love every day, and I'm a a business owner now, um, own the gym I train at with some of my partners. So I you know it ended up being a a good decision on my part, I think.
2: Oh, absolutely. it's an incredible story. We, we love that. Do, it, you know going back to to your build kind of that long and lean and it's one of the things I noticed in, in watching uh, some of your YouTube clips today is is that must be an asset for you, right? You, you kind of your build sort of throw guys kind of surprise guys maybe in the, in the in the in the cage a little bit, maybe not expecting some of your moves. I think you probably are a different fighter than what most people are used to.
1: I, I do have a, a a little bit longer frame than most people in the 155 pound division, so um, I would say it's an advantage if you know how to use it. I think the cool thing about wrestling and combat sports is any any body shape, any body frame can can find success. You find short, stocky, successful fighters. You see taller, lankier fighters. It's just kind of how you build your skill set, you know, around what you have to work. Um, so I would say I. I I am able to use it as an advantage, but I don't think it just is an automatic advantage. I think you have to know how to use the certain skills and um, skill sets that that come with the different body types.
2: One of the most impressive matches I saw. So you were you were coming off of a four year break, it sounded like, and you were against that was a David Bankston in, in your first match back. Yeah and he slams you i I thought you were going to be out i mean he slams you and within a second the match is over you have him in an arm bar and i don't even know i slowed that thing down i still couldn't figure out what the hell happened but uh just an incredible move and it was just it was amazing i I mean you're known for your arm bar but what an incredible match to come back after four years off i mean that had to just be insane for you
1: yeah that was a little bit sketchy that was not the plan anytime get slammed on your head you can pretty much assume that was not according to the plan but um with my style I feel pretty comfortable whether it's standing um whether it's whether it's on the ground so I think one of my assets is or one of my um advantages or attributes is that I can kind of take the fight as it comes to me and and be pretty comfortable everywhere so I kind of just roll with the punches or in that case rolled with the slam and, and just kept looking for what was next and it ended up being a, a pretty sweet little highlight. And yeah, um, to come back in and, and make that submission win happen, I would, had been out with a couple knee injuries, had some fights fall through. So yeah, that was, that was a pretty cool. And I know I scared the crap out of every single person that was there rooting for me so I try to avoid doing that again
2: <laughs> I would imagine I was stunned too I mean Bankston only being a five-six guy I certainly know that feeling on a good day I'm five-six, so I yeah. that th- the height difference was was just uh was nuts I I really enjoyed that fight a lot to talk a little bit about your your style you've talked about your style a little bit
0: obviously you take some from wrestling, you take some from the jiu jitsu ju- that you just got your black belt in. How do you mold those two styles, and what's your what's your favorite uh, position to be in?
1: Um, so a a lot of times with my wrestling background, people address me in the fight world oh, as a wrestler, Keegan yeah. the wrestler, and so on and so forth. And i I try not to get, and i I don't take offense because I know they they mean well, but I I really think my strength as an MMA fighter is that I've built an all-around game. My wrestling is really strong, um, but my striking and my jiu-jitsu um, are strong as well. So when, when people call me, when people say, hey, you're you're an amazing wrestler, I'm like, thank you, but I, I think I'm better at MMA okay. as a whole. So I think that's really my strength is to, be, to, to put it all... T- I think I'm not the best wrestler. I'm not the best striker. I'm not the best at jiu-jitsu, but I think when it all gets combined together I think I'm I'm pretty good um at at MMA as a whole um so Excellent. my strategy in fights a lot of times is to use that to my advantage if I'm fighting a wrestler I'll try to be the better striker if okay. I'm fighting the better striker a lot of times I can be the better grappler so I try to use that to find where my opponent might have a weakness and and try to exploit that part of their game
2: do you watch a lot of film before the fight is that part of your your pre-fight routine
1: um, so the league that I've been fighting in, um LFA, I've been with for two or three or four years now. and and ever since I've been with them, i've I've kept a fairly close eye on on the competition, who's winning, who's on a winning streak, who might I see in the near future? So I, I kind of keep my eye on on the competition in general. Um, and then but then, as far as as specifically watching film for a specific fighter, I think other fighters and other coaches probably watch a little bit more film um, and look for specific things as I do. I'll watch a couple fights kind of just once over to see kind of in general what some of their strengths and weaknesses are. But I don't don't emphasize watching film, I guess, as much as others, because I know between every fight how much better I've gotten and how many other tricks I've added between fights. You can pretty much guarantee watching that fight from six months ago that he's added something to his game or the weaknesses that were in his game. He's been working on fixing and I don't. A lot of fighters maybe have a little bit more specific game plan. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And I try to have just a little bit more open mind open-minded approach to, to it and, and kind of take what's there. So I do watch a little bit film. So I know what a little bit to expect, but I don't focus on the specifics maybe as much as others.
2: Sure. So, so you're, you're basically, you're bringing your game to to the, to the cage and let, letting them react to it more or less. Just, right. just...
1: I don't want to, I don't want to wait, wait around to find out what your strengths are. Um, You know, especially in a fight, I want to get to my strengths and my position. So I really am worried more about what I'm going to do. To him than what he's going to do to me
2: right how much time do you spend on cardio i can't even imagine how i I mean i love going to his gym as as much as anybody And when i ever hit the heavy bag Mm -hmm. which isn't often i'm dead after like 30 seconds i can't imagine how how much cardio you guys do
1: yeah i would say that's probably the thing that people underestimate the most that have never done mma is is how tiring it is mma is or sorry wrestling is known to be really tiring and Boxing is obviously really tiring as well, but when you combine all of those things together, and you got to wrestle and then you got to strike, it is a pretty heavy cardiovascular um, sport. Um, so I would say, um, in training camp, outside of like my sparring or my wrestling practices, which are obviously improving my cardio as well, I'll do two or three, di- two or three, at least different sessions of of strength and conditioning. So on Sundays my dad comes to my gym and we do like uh, circuit work, like hit, hit, I think is the term that most people would use. Um, sure. Like uh, like circuits, like one minute of this exercise, yeah. one minute of this exercise. And we do it for five minutes. Um, we do five rounds, five minutes to to replicate the fight, five, five minute rounds, one minute break in between. And then, like I said, I do, like some of my hobbies are doing cardio too, like triathlons are something that I, I do for fun outside of fighting, so. Um, I love to run. Um, I love to to ride my bike. So just kind of outside of training even, I'm doing a little bit of that just for fun. Me and uh, Quinn did a 5K yeah. uh, this summer before one of my last fights, and and that was a good time. Um, so uh, I do a couple extra days of or extra workouts a week of specific – I'll ride the assault bike or the aerodyne bike is what we used to call it uh, yeah. with the arms and the legs. Yeah. So – but I, I – I, and I also try not to get too out of shape in between fights. So rather than like get in really good shape and then lose it all and have to build it back, I think I've done a good job of keeping a pretty steady base. So I don't have to build from scratch every time we can kind of add on um, sure. to the cardio base I already have.
2: So as you, uh, now, now Tash and I are certainly a lot older than you and, 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 it doesn't get easier, you know, year after year, how, how does it feel now? As you hit your thirties, is it, is it tougher, easier, the same. How, how you feeling? Uh,
1: I've been well. You can be super dramatic about it now that now that I'm 30, so I can complain about it um, a <laughs> lot more. I kind of joke. I, on my 30th birthday. I woke up like like with the worst cold I had all year. I'm like, oh, this is this is your 30s, huh? This is exactly what I heard about being 30. Um, Wait till you hit
2: 50. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think I probably got. I think I'm gonna, I wanna fight, I don't wanna fight until I'm like 35, 40 years old. I wanna, I'm gonna fight really hard for, I wanna be done by I'm about 32. So I got a couple more good years in me, hopefully. Um, I think that I don't, well, for one, I don't drink alcohol at all. I think that gives me um, a leg up on my peers already um, as far as recovery um, and staying in shape and and feeling good um, goes. So I think that's one advantage I have. Um, but, you know, it's getting a little bit harder. I think I have to train a little bit. I think I'm doing a better, I think I'm getting smarter too. So it's getting a little bit harder, but I'm getting a little bit smarter on on days where I'm feeling super worn down and like maybe I'm overtraining and about to get sick or hurt. I'll allow myself to back off the throttle a little bit and just, just trying to be a little bit smarter. Um, I heard, uh, uh, if you're familiar with Khabib, Nurmagomedov, who's arguably the greatest of all time in our sport, 29 No, he says, you know, in your in your late 20s, you're in your physical peak, maybe at 28, but you're not your mental game is not at your peak. And then you turn 30 and your physical peak and your mental game are pretty even. So he says 30 is about your prime for MMA because your mind, your mental game and your your physical body are, are pretty close to being in their prime and then he says you get to be about 32 and now your mental game is really strong but your physical game is starting to slide off so right now I think I'm I really do think I'm right about in my in my prime for MMA they, th- they say 30 it, between 30 and 32 are about the best years you have
2: nice you know you, you we don't think about this a lot you, you think about all the physical but that mental is just that's equally as important isn't it the mental part of the game
1: yeah, and I think I think an advantage I've had the last couple of years is I've been able to fight on a, a pretty regular schedule, um, been in training camp or getting ready for fights um, on a pretty regular basis. And it's it's amazing how much you learn just in every training camp and every fight. There's valuable lessons to take away um, from every training camp and every fight. So I really feel like just kind of hitting my peak. And it's nice nice to have this winning streak going, and I – I can have a lot, take a lot of confidence in my training because it's been working and working over and over again. So I, I have a, a journal where I, I journal what I'm eating, what workouts I'm doing, and it's been a winning recipe now, um, for a couple years. So I just take a lot of confidence in trying to to repeat, repeat a lot of things we did, and then fix some of the things that need fixing and. And adding on to what we're already doing, but I try to I try to follow a, a pretty strict routine of what's what's been working recently, and that gives me a lot of confidence.
0: Sure. So, um, just to maybe tell the listeners a little bit. So, how does that work? How do you get your fights, and who who does that scheduling and stuff for you, or are you actively doing that yourself?
1: Okay. So, um, there's there's a couple different ways it goes. Um, I recently signed to a sports engine. Uh, sports agency, Iridium Sports Agency, out of Las Vegas, who okay. has a huge roster of UFC fighters and fighters close to getting into the UFC. So now they do that for me. Um, okay. The the fight promoter. Um, I mean, these w- the last couple years, LFA, um, the organizers would would contact my agent and say, Hey, we have this fight. Um, what do you guys think? And they send it over to me to agree to it or not. Okay. Um. And the advantage of having an, and I just recently did recently got with an agency. So there, you know, there's pros and cons pros is you have someone in your corner who is actively looking for a good fight for you and a good fight for you. I mean, by that is um, so if, if you don't have an agency, what you run into is promoters bringing you in to fight their guy. Right. They have a guy that they want to promote and see rise to the top. And then they're looking for another guy who they think that might be a little bit more of a favorable matchup for them. Right. So without an agent and someone going to bat for you, you're kind of at the will of the promoter reaching out to you. And you kind of got to take what opportunities are there for you. So me as a pro early on, I didn't have an agent. I took a couple losses early on. So I kind of got behind the eight ball. I wasn't necessarily someone considered a prospect. So I was kind of being brought in to fight these prospects. So that's where you saw me fight guys that are five or six and oh, and I didn't really have the option to not take that. So, you, you know, pros, you beat that guy and now you take his spot and now you have the momentum and you're headed towards the top, which is kind of where where I'm at now, whereas. If you would get an agent two or three fights into your pro career, kind of like in boxing, where you see the guys yeah. get built up, right? You you want to get to be seven, eight, nine, ten, and all. That's what the UFC um, is looking for. Um, and I didn't go that route at first, and it you know I kind of had to to take the hard route, and and I, I am proud of that. But I am happy to have an agent now. Um, so they they take twenty percent of my purse, but they also are getting me better contracts and um when the ufc calls that'll be who they'll call okay
2: do do you get so when you get a fight do you get guaranteed money or is it just strictly a a purse or how you're heading out to california to fight i guess how how does that work for you logistically getting out there is that on your dime
1: so the way that mma contracts work almost 100 percent of the time is you have a guaranteed amount of money that you're going to make to to make weight and show up and do the fight and then when you win it, it doubles. So most of my contracts would look like, I'll just throw a, a random number out there, $5,000 to show up and $5,000 more dollars if you win. Okay. So if I show up and I don't win, I make $5,000. If I show up and I win, I make $10,000. Um, so if there's a lot on the line, um, um, really essentially half of your payday or your, or your living, um, yeah. whether you win or lose, um, and then as far as getting to the flights, the um, if I if you're if you're in driving range, they'll give you gas money, um, whatever that would mean. But if I'm going to California or I'm going to New York or South Dakota, then they're flying uh, me in a corner out. And that would be on their dime. Sure. And then they put they put you up in the hotel for a couple of days um, on their dime as well. So what? I make I make about half of my living um, off of my fight purse. And then I also have um some really really supportive um sponsors so uh, that my purse and then is about half of what I make and then about double what I make um off of sponsors and those are coming like usually get those like at the starting training camp so those are going towards if I have to get pre-fight medical uh like to to fight I have to go through some certain licensing right I got to get a physical and I got to get my eyes checked, and I got to do blood work. Um, So sponsors are helping with stuff like that. And then they're also helping me travel. I I go to Milwaukee and spend some weekends training there during training camp, um, or I made made some cross-country trips to other gyms. So sponsors are helping out with that. And then as the fight gets closer, I don't have to be to be coaching um, or working quite as much, I can take some more time off of work with their support and just focus on on training and resting. Sure.
2: All right. w- what does your, what's what's the day of a fight look like for you? Maybe the night before meal leading into that, that day and finally walking into the, into the ring?
1: So um, for the little bit, of, uh, or a big difference between wrestling and fighting and wrestling, you weigh in pretty much right before mm-hmm. you go to wrestle, you would weigh in that evening and then go wrestle about an hour later in mma you weigh in a full 24 hours before um so if i fight on a friday we'll have weigh-ins on thursday um and then uh, some we'll weigh in and then i'll have like media obligations i'll meet with the commentary team for like a pre-fight meeting so they can have some talking points and ask some questions and um have some things to talk about on the commentary, and then you do some other media. I'll take I'll take pictures and some short video clips, so they have stuff to use um, on the TV broadcast of the fights. And then so just a lot of rehydrating and some eating. I'll eat a big meal um, Thursday. Try to get a good night's uh, try to get a good night's sleep. Um, I usually sleep okay the night before a fight. The night before weigh-ins is kind of hard because you're thirsty and you're hungry, and it's hard to fall asleep. <laughs> Um, then so I end up by the end of the weekend, I end up being pretty worn out and tired and I need need about a week to catch up on, on sleep and laying low. But fight day, um, I usually ate quite a bit the night before. So around noon on fight day, I'll do like a little like a, I won't even call it a workout, but I'll get up and stretch and move around. Think about the fight a little bit um, just to kind of move that food around um, and be feeling a little bit more fresh. Then I'll take a nap. I really, I really lay pretty low um, all the way up until the fight. Um, I always joke. My last few fights have been at Mystic Lake Casino um, in Minnesota, which is a really nice hotel. And I just, I'm like, I had a really relaxing trip until I had to fight (laughs) someone at the end. Because really, I and I don't have, I don't have cable TV, so I take advantage of the cable TV at the hotel and watch the Food Network and stuff like that. So I really lay pretty low um, until fight night um and then this last one i was the main event so i didn't fight till about 10 o'clock so if you would be all worked up and intense all day it would be really tiring and draining um, and you'd probably be pretty pooped by the time the fight came around so i really try to relax and and lay low and maybe about an hour before the fight i'll start warming up and getting my hands wrapped and getting my game face on but other than that um try to try to save as much energy as i can throughout the day so you mentioned the fact that, you know, that that Wednesday, say you
0: you're, a, you, you, well, you mentioned the night before you're hungry, you're thirsty. So what what is your, you know, how much weight are you cutting up to, um, up to weigh in, and how much are you putting back on before the fight?
1: Okay, so I fight at 155 pounds, um, and when I got so weigh-ins are on Thursday. Thursday at about noon. So I'll cut my weight Wednesday night, okay. um, and then and then Thursday morning I don't have much to do besides weight for the weigh-ins. But um, the last couple times I'll cut about nine pounds in about an hour. Would be the last <laughs> little bit of my weight cut. um And it that sounds like a big number, and it and it is a little bit. But I I I've, I've been doing it now for so many years that. Yeah. I have all the numbers I need to hit like days or maybe weeks out. Like, so I know if I weigh 169, 12 days before the fight, then I'm right on track to where I need to be. So I'm kind of hitting these little mini goals on the way down. And I know if I'm at a a certain weight, um, at a certain time that I, that I'm on track, uh, to be where I need to be. So I, I cut about nine pounds in an hour I'll use like, if you're familiar with like what a sauna suit or a rubber suit might be um mm-hmm. underneath my clothes and then what's nice about mystic lake is they have a really nice sauna um yeah. on on the grounds there which not a lot of the hotels that we get put up in as fighters do so that's kind of been a luxury to have have a sauna to sit in so really it i i make it pretty routinely pretty it it's, it doesn't take a huge toll on me okay um i i think the more professional about it you can be the 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 less of a havoc it wreaks on your body. And I think that that pays some dividends for me the next night. And then to answer the last part of that question, I was 172 on fight night. Wow. (laughs) Wow.
2: So is that all just, is that quote water weight that you're playing with? It's
1: a lot of water weight. What we do is we manipulate uh, our intake of water. They call it water loading in our sport. So in the weeks leading up to the fight, I'm drinking almost two gallons of water a day. So I'm almost, I'm almost overhydrated, Um, so when I go do cut that, it's all water weight. I use, I use, uh, my diet, my healthy diet, you know, cutting out the, whatever, whatever kind of diet, um, to get down to a certain weight, 168 or whatever it is. And then the rest of it is water weight, which I've, I've loaded up in my body, um, sure. for in the weeks leading up to the fight. And then, you know, yes, a, a lot of that weight going back in is, is. Water weight. I drink. Uh, I made. I'll make weight, and then I'll drink a whole gallon, eight pounds of water, about before I even start eating. So it yeah. is a lot of water weight.
2: So how the heck? I mean, it sounds so simple to drink water, but to drink that much water, how the hell do you drink that much water?
1: It sucks. I haven't drank any water <laughs> since my fight. I get so sick of it. Oh um, my god! But I guess, I guess if you if you think about working out twice a day, even if you were trying to just stay regularly hydrated. You got to drink water anyway. So, yeah. you know, if I if I work out and now I'm really thirsty, it's not too much to drink, you know, four pounds of, of water or whatever it might be. So it is it, it gets old and it gets boring and it, I get sick of I, I carry a gallon around with me everywhere I go for a while. So it's not fun. And I, I take a break from the water for a little bit uh, afterwards, but yeah. it's just, it's just part of it, but it's not so bad. It, and especially in the summer, it was a little bit harder in the winter this time. Cause I'm not sweating as much oh, sure. um, as I would be in the summer, but in my summer workouts, I'll lose eight to 10 pounds in an, in an hour and a half of working out. So that's a lot of water just to drink, just to catch back up and be, and be healthy. So it's not, it's, it's doable.
2: Sure. See, so you have the water, but uh, what, what do you like to eat? What, what are you, what are you eating? Um, obviously, protein, I'm, I'm assuming, but. Uh...
1: Um, I, I do. Um, I, I, I do what people would call a one meal a day and OMAD diet um, when I'm in training camp and trying to make weight. So I'll eat one big meal at the end of the day. I like to train. I don't like to have a full stomach when I train. So to wake up and eat breakfast and then go train really isn't my jive. So I'll do a lot of fasting throughout the day. I won't. I'll eat a big meal at like eight o'clock. And for okay. me I really like that cuz I I like to eat. I'm kind of like a fat kid at heart. So <laughs> if I eat if Preach. I eat three small me- three small meals throughout the day and never feel like I got full, like that kind of just feels like you're on a diet all the time and I don't like it. But rather if I can wait till the end of the day and now I'm eating almost as much as I can possibly, you know, stomach and go to bed feeling full and like I had a nice huge meal, that works out a lot better for me. But as far as foods I'm eating, I typically kind of like drift towards a couple things during training camp and end up eating them over and over and over again. And sometimes I end up burning myself out on things, but steak and eggs, um, chicken and rice and veggies, stir fries. I like breakfast for dinner. So I'll do like banana pancakes, oatmeal. Um, but, but for most of training camp, I'm, I'm still eating probably like 2,800, 3000 calories a day. And then towards the end it gets a little bit skimpier, but um, I didn't I didn't skip a meal really all the way up until weigh in. So um, I was able to, to eat all the way up until right about that last day. Um ah, gets a that, little bit skimpier, but
0: not to jump ahead, but do you know when your next fight's gonna be yet? Or are you still kind of waiting that game out right now?
1: That's the the tricky part about our sport and kind of especially where I'm at, I really I have an idea of a couple of different situations. that that can and will happen so best case scenario is um these days to get signed to the UFC you would have to maybe be like to like for the UFC to just directly call you out of nowhere and offer you a contract you would have to be like I don't know maybe like uh have some sort of fame from a different combat sport or really be a a hot hot pro. like if Terrence Crawford wanted to get into MMA he could probably get a call straight from the UFC. But a guy like me, I have to essentially wait for someone to get hurt. So let's say there's a UFC fight in four weeks at my division. Someone blows their knee out, can't fight. They're going to call me and say, hey, would you take this fight on three weeks' notice? We know it's short notice, which is a disadvantage to you. But if you do this, we will give you a three-to-four fight contract with the UFC to make it worth it on your end. So essentially – I am waiting for that call. I'm waiting for someone to have to pull out on three or four weeks notice, What's tough about that is I have to essentially stay in training camp and stay within reaching distance of my weight um, for the time being, which is kind of how I've been been going about. I've kind of been in this spot now for the last couple of years where that call might be coming. It might not be I'm staying ready. For whatever's next. But really, uh, now that I won the belt, the worst case scenario is that I go back and defend that championship in LFA, which would be okay. pretty sweet as well. But it's not the UFC, and it's not as lucrative as fighting in the UFC, um, even in my debut, would be. So, really, um, what I'm hoping for is a call from the UFC in the next three to four to six months. If not, um, we'll look at lining up another title fight uh, with okay. LFA. But, but with being the champion in LFA, we, we have something called a champion's clause in my contract. So while I'm the champ in LFA, I can either fight in LFA or I could fight in UFC. Okay. But I'm not technically a free agent. If Bellator or won fighting championships or someone called and wanted me to come fight for them, I would be locked in uh, to my champion's contract. So okay. it's either the UFC or bust right now, honestly. Okay.
2: Wow. Oh yeah, we, we can't wait to watch that <laughs> unfold. I, I wanted to circle back a little bit to high school and in, in particular your state championship in, in 2012. Can you speak about what, what it was like to, to be in the field house and, and, and wrestling for a Wisconsin state championship? I mean, that's there's can't be a whole lot better than that, really. That had to be quite the experience.
1: Me mean, my dad had an interesting conversation about what was cooler when in state. Uh, or win in, win in this MMA championship. And I don't know if I've quite decided yet, but um, they actually hold the state championships in the Cole Center and, okay. they, and they sell out. So at 18 yeah. years old, I wrestled in front of 16, 15,000, 16,000 people. Wow. So I think that experience has served me well going into fighting where, you know, maybe at the start, you're only fighting in front of a, a few hundred people. Um, so maybe it doesn't seem like, I think being able to handle that pressure um that night at state has definitely helped uh develop my mental game and um I think one of my strengths as a fighter is I keep my cool um under pressure and I always perf- I think I always perform better on fight night than I do on the gym than I do in the gym because I think I'm I'm really well suited for to handle that pressure and perform at my best but th- the other thing about winning winning state that still gives me confidence I don't really dwell on it but I know that I can stick to a process and stick to it. And at the end, you know, when it comes down to it, I can I can make it happen. So I think like the journey of of training for a championship fight or for a fight is a lot like a wrestling season. Right. I take three or four months and train really seriously. And I, I I've been able to trust that process and work through that process and have success with it in the past. So um, I think that that suits me well, knowing that I can you know even you know and then when i was in state i took i took third my sophomore year i took mm-hmm. third my junior year and then i finally broke through um and won gold my senior year and i think that kind of follows a similar path in my professional fighting career i, it, I, I wasn't at the top right away i kind of had to to, to to dig for it so i think having those life experiences um has paid dividends for me in my in my fight career a lot
2: does that come pretty natural to you when when right before a, a match whether it's wrestling or, or in the cage where your heart is just racing probably faster than it ever does Do you, is that natural for you where you you have that ability to to control that and and, and get that focus it kind of seems like
0: you have that right to I have, just think I get have go.
1: so much experience doing it I've done it I've done it so many times you know I've been learning about myself um and, and what i need to do to to operate at my best what what am i feeling like what am i acting like what am i thinking like in those moments that i perform my best and i said after this fight i feel like it's getting easier every time and i think that's just an experience thing i okay. um and i and i take a lot of confidence i'm not i try to get a, i've tried to get less superstitious as i get older because i think if it can be a weakness if you're really superstitious and your plan kind of gets thrown off. You can't let it really mess your day up too much. Uh, but I, I have a routine that I follow and I, I just take a lot of confidence in the fact that I've done it so many times. Um, yeah, I'm just really familiar, I guess, with myself and, and how to get myself in the right mindset. But I think it's getting easier, a little bit easier every time.
2: I apologize for the, probably going to be a dumb question, but I was listening to Joe Rogan. They had a wrestler on there and they were actually talking about what the, what the the floor was made of in in those old rings, you know, back in the nineties, the, the, the rock (laughs) and those guys, what what is the floor like in a cage? Is that just plywood? Or is there a little give to that floor?
1: It depends on how nice of a promotion you're fighting on. (laughs) Okay, Uh, So these days I'm a little bit closer to the big league. So it's, it's pretty tip-top shape but you know as you start as an amateur or a low-level pro um, if you know anything about local MMA sometimes they put a cage up in the back of a bar or something yeah, like that right, so it, right. you know in that case it is it is it's literally a piece of plywood <laughs> with some wrestling mats and a canvas and I've been to some fights where it breaks and they got to they got to fix the freaking cage <laughs> in between fights so these days that's not something I have to worry about it's tip-top top of the line stuff but there's some sketchy cages in some of these grassroots yeah it's literally you you worry if you're fighting after the big boys because those are the ones that break the cage <laughs> and break the floor
2: a oh, little bit of the carnival atmosphere i'm sure oh
1: man it's yeah i could tell some yeah i, I would imagine
2: <laughs> and the the other but probably dumb question so as, as i was watching you you fight today it's before you actually walk in are you getting a, a pre-medical check right out kind of outside the cage before you do your walk-in are they checking something
1: so um we do um, a couple different uh physicals uh throughout the throughout the week that is not a a, a physical I wouldn't call it they are putting the vaseline um, okay on my eyebrows and the bridge of my nose and under my eyes to potentially minimize cuts with the vaseline on it's supposed to create a little bit of uh, less friction and hopefully keep you from getting cut as easily. And then they check to make sure you have your mouth guard in and that you're wearing um, your cup. Um, And then they send you, Oh, and they, I guess they pat you down to make sure you're not greased up or whatever. But where the physicals happen is right before weigh-ins. I see an actual MD and they check your heart. Um, they check your major joints to make sure you're not about to get in there with a blown out knee or a blown out shoulder. So they do a basic sports physical the day before, um, during weigh-ins and then all the fighters go and see the doctor right after the first thing you do after you leave the cage is you go see the doctor.
0: Okay. So So I want to ask you a question. Um, you mentioned that you're, you're a small business owner. You want to talk a little bit about your business and your training and, and, uh, kind of promote that a little bit as well.
1: Yes, I am. Yes, thank you. I am one of the co-owners at um, Team FEGC or uh, the Fox Valley Grappling Club would be the, the okay. long form name of that. And we're on Nicolay Road, um, kind of over by Nakashima's and Bergstrom yeah, um, over by the mall. And we offer um, adult Brazilian jiu-jitsu and we do a kids uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu program that I am involved in coaching a little bit. And then... Um, we have, some, we have an MMA program where I coach some other up-and-coming fighters. Um, and then um, right in the building with us is Aviators Wrestling, yeah. um, which is a youth wrestling club um, that I actually trained at when I was a, a teenager and a high schooler. And now I've been coaching here um, for about 10 years. But recently, so I've been with Team FEGC for almost all of my professional career since I was about 21 and now in the last couple of years, um, had the opportunity to move into to more of an ownership role um i don't do i don't do a ton of the the front office stuff right now i'm really focused on my fighting career but i guess where i do the most work i I teach a lot um good i'm teaching probably between 10 and 15 classes here a week so wow um most of my day is free i do most of my training like nine to four um and then i start i teach in the evenings from about five to eight thirty on a pretty regular basis i love it
2: would you say the state of youth wrestling and 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 that is, is pretty strong right now i know this is sort of a hotbed area but is it still that way
1: yeah i think i think wisconsin i would consider wisconsin as a whole to be a top 10 wrestling state in the country um as far as like middle schoolers and high schoolers go um i really i will get i have um you know Not that I wouldn't love coaching wrestling in more of a public school setting like my dad does. Um, I would be interested in that, but I am really, really spoiled um, being here. We have some really, really hardworking, amazing young people. Um, So the parents are always like, man, we appreciate you motivating and inspiring our kids. But honestly, I take a lot of motivation and inspiration um, from them as well. Like they're working they're working just as hard as I am to reach their goals. So, um, you know, I want to continue to raise the bar and set a great example. And if, cause if I was slacking off even a little bit, these 15 year old kids are, <laughs> would be working harder than me. And I can't, you know, I'm not gonna let that happen for a couple more years yet. So <laughs> my dad right. always, my dad always was really great at leading from the front. He, he would never ask you to do a workout that he wasn't willing to do himself. So I try to, to take a lot of that into my own coaching style. But yeah, we have some, not just like talented, successful wrestlers, but I really work with some like really great young people. So I think sometimes we fall into this loop of thinking that the next generation is dumb and lazy and entitled, but it's nice to see, you know, there's some really exceptional kids that I get to spend a lot of time with. So I'm really lucky in that regard.
2: That's really cool to hear. And I've I've found the same thing in a lot of these sports. You're right. These kids get a bad rap. There's some hard workers out there and these kids take it serious and some great athletes and great kids out there for sure. Girls and boys.
1: And they they carry themselves like, you know, like professional, like just, just stand up, stand up kids. So yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to be coaching where I am.
2: No, I believe it. And they they have a great role model for sure. So I I do have a,
0: couple more questions for you i know we're getting close to that that hour um the first one though is who who is somebody and you, you may have already answered it and the listeners may already know but and you look at your mentors you look at somebody you look up to um who are a couple of those people that you just want to shout out and say you know you made a big huge influence on my life
1: well you know the the easy obvious answer would be my parents and they both contributed in their in their own ways my dad is and not to say that my mom is not a competitive or intense in her own ways um but she certainly can be but i think my dad um you know pushed me really hard and and made me made me really tough and i think my mom and still does try to keep my head on straight like my dad wants to push me and make me a winner and my mom wants to make sure i don't act like a a an asshole (laughs) while i'm doing it so i and i and in the mma world you see a lot of guys man kind of acting crazy and whether that's really their personality or whether that's you know you know from wrestling and boxing to to sell fights or i just for me i it's i got no place for that i have you know young people looking up to me so i i try to always uh carry myself um as a professional and and my mom make sure I do that and then some other people that I really look up to are are both of my brothers my I think my brother Kelly and my brother Quinn are two of the most you know upstanding well-rounded men that I know so I look up I look up to the way that they they carry themselves in their everyday life so those are two people I look up to as well and then as far as um mentors go today I have a coach um Nick Thompson the one that you saw um give me my black belt um, on Friday. That's someone that has, I always say he really changed my MMA career around. I've been, since this win streak started about three years ago, Been had the opportunity to work with him um, on a really regular basis. And Nick was, if you look at Nick's MMA career, he was like 40 and 12 as a professional MMA fighter. So he's got over 50 fights, a world champion (laughs) um, himself. and even at 42. And now he's, so he's an interesting care. He retired from professional fighting and now he's a lawyer. Uh, he has a, <laughs> he runs his own law firm. So a pretty wow. interesting guy in his own, right. But, um, he has given me some really valuable time of his and some really valuable advice. And that's someone I, I look up to, um, someone who's an absolute beast, but if you saw him, you know, outside of the cage, Um, Just in his everyday life, you would never you would never guess that he was he was as successful as a fighter as he is because he he carries himself uh, in a in a laid back sort of way that I I appreciate.
2: Cool. Are there many other professional fighters in the area? Uh
1: no, um, not successful ones. Okay. Um, that's, a, that's a slight dig at some of my business competitors, but no, um, the, my honest answer would be if I make it to the UFC, I would be the first person from Appleton to ever do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, oh, and, and, and honestly, I would say even if I don't make it to the UFC, I probably have the most successful resume of any fighter that has ever come from the area. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of good fighters come out of Milwaukee but okay. once you get north of Milwaukee there's not a ton of guys um at a super high level um so it would mean a lot to me to be the the, the first person from here to to make it to to the big leagues um Heck so yeah. my, that's my my goal is my goal before I'm done is to make it to be the first person to make it to the UFC and then be the first person to win um ah, a nice. fight in the UFC so right on man. that's boxes awesome to check off yet yeah
2: heck yeah when you when you first started when you knew you were going to do the mma was that the path to go from hortonville and then you had to go to milwaukee basically prove yourself there and, and spread out from there
1: yeah so you know i've heard and this is another thing i'm proud of, I've heard of so many times in my career you got to move to a big city you got to move to a big gym you got to do this you got you got to ask this person for a favor you got to ask this person to to talk to someone for you and i said no i'm not going to do that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this my way, and I'm gonna build a, a great team around me. And so, I'm certainly not giving myself all of the. I'm not doing this by myself in Appleton. I've been able to put some really hardworking and and good people around me. And I do, um, I do go to Milwaukee and, and cross train. I think it's important that I go. You know, I I spend a lot of time here with my own team, and I have a coach that can kick my butt. I have some really hardworking training partners that push me, um, but I also got to kind of get out of my own bubble sometimes. And uh, just, it's good to go see some people that you're not super familiar with. If I train with David six days a week, he knows what's coming. I know what's coming. um, So I do make my way down to um, Milwaukee. There's a couple of gyms with some training partners and coaches that I trust um, and have been really valuable help for me as well. So
2: that's good I, that's probably a tough world to to find people to trust isn't it the ufc world and the, so the mma world that's
1: kind of why i like to to stick to my small little team because i know they don't want to hurt me i know yeah. that they have my best the best intentions in mind a lot of times if i let's say i went to not to like pick up if i went to a, a pop, rufus sport would be a name that you might know in milwaukee where anthony pettis and But anyways, but if you go to a gym with a bunch of other professional fighters and you're not that friend, you're not their friend. They don't care about your development or your safety. A lot of times you walk in there and you are a punching bag. You know what I mean? You are another body that they can try to beat the snot out of. And so they're not necessarily worried if they cut your forehead open or they give you a concussion or your knee gets hurt. Um, So I try to stick with. Stick to a smaller group of people that I've trained with before and that I know I can know and know and trust. Sure. I try I try to avoid the the real mega gyms, big gyms, as much as I can. Well, that makes sense. Not to say that they're all bad, but you know, like if it if you're not my buddy, then I, I'm probably just another someone I can you can try to punch in the face with your new move. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: My son wanted to ask how much those tattoos on your shins hurt.
1: Oh, they hurt a lot. <laughs> every every time I get tattooed, I forget. I, I take a couple year break so I forget how much they hurt, and then I, we, they get started. I'm like, oh yeah, this this sucks. Yeah, I sweated through. I sweated through all of them. I wouldn't say one any of them hurt more than the other. They all hurt a lot.
0: Yeah, I cannot even imagine. <laughs> well, I seriously, Keegan, this was awesome. Thank you so much for being on i i learned a lot and you know we're going to definitely keep an eye on you and uh keep you know keep up on the socials and everything so we can see when your next fight is and um hopefully we can have you on again and that'll be the time when it's that ufc
1: call yeah that'd we'll have some big incredible. news to talk about hopefully
2: yeah oh, that'd be
0: so Thank sweet you
1: guys for having me i had a lot of fun i i appreciate you guys reaching out it's a good time oh we certainly appreciate it i like doing stuff like this
2: already tash it's that time again once again for the red smith sports award banquet throwback tash this year or this episode i think i did that last time this episode will go back to 2004 once again we just had herb kohler uh he won the red smith award that year well, that year we also had Sean McDonough was our featured speaker and, and you've seen seen Sean all over your TV screen for for years. He does football, he does basketball, he does he does it all. Um, yeah he at, at, the, at the time he was a cbs sports announcer he was he he we had a great stretch at the red smith banquet we had four out of five years we we brought in cbs sports announcers Vern lundquist bill Mcatee, <laughs> sean mcdonough bill rafferty uh most of those guys we've had in the throwback already so go check out the archives but yeah tash sean mcdonough we he, he was a great one we had fun yeah. after the banquet i remember that and he uh
0: yeah he was good Went out to have some have some beers but yeah yeah this is Sean McDonough is just a classic announcer. I mean, he's he's been doing announcing since 1982 when he was with the Sy- Syracuse Chiefs. He was the play-by-play for radio. Um, you know, he's done Olympics. He's currently uh, the NHL on ESPN, NHL on ABC. He's their lead play-by-play. So if you get a chance to watch the NHL on TV at all, you can check that out. He still is the uh, radio play-by-play for the Boston Red Sox as well. Yeah. So, you know, just... He's a classic announcer, career announcer. He does a great job, um, and you know, he like you said, Joe, it was a good time that night, uh, hearing stories and just uh, just shooting the crap about sports, um, which which is always a good time.
2: No, absolutely, when you have a career like that and and a Boston guy like that, you're, you're going to be filled with stories, and they came pouring out that night. Uh, in January night 2004 at the Radisson Paper Valley Hotel Sean McDonough
3: Red Smith Sports Awards Banquet Throwback
0: Red Smith Award of course goes to someone who has made some unique contributions to sport in Wisconsin and also
2: epitomizes the great values that Red Smith exhibited. Let's give a Red Smith welcome.
3: Please welcome Sean McDonough. Thank you very much. Yeah, I know you've been sitting a long time. Some of you are probably too polite to get up and leave. And if you want to do that, I want to allow you the chance to do that. And I'd like to think of this for the moment as the seventh inning stretch. We're really in the ninth inning. But the seventh inning stretch, and I'd like to ask your indulgence for just 10 seconds. If you'd all stand, let's clap. Show me some of that Fox City's area enthusiasm that you're famous for. Cheer like your Howard Dean finishing third. Big standing ovation. Actually, I kind of used you guys there a little bit. I know maybe some of you wanted to stretch, but you had my good friend Vern Lundquist here last year, and he told me it was a great group, but sometimes unresponsive. I said, I'll bet you $100 I get a standing ovation when I walk right up to the podium. So now I have the picture to prove it. Jim, thank you for coming up. Actually, Vern Lundquist is still mad at me. We did the masters together at CBS for four years, and. Uh, our producer, Lance Barrow, is kind of famous for malaprops and not getting the name right. He's a Texan with a hard drawled, to understand. He's always talking in your ear, and he's the guy to tell you which hole to throw it to and what to go to. And you remember Jean-Claude, uh, John Velde, who had that terrible misfortune at the British Open. He kept hitting the ball in the water, hopefully uh, something that dramatic will happen in your tournament. but. Uh, he was playing in the Masters, and I was on my hole, and, uh, but it was a hole that I couldn't see. When you're in the tower doing these golf tournaments, you're on one hole, but you're doing the commentary for three or four other holes, so you rely on the people to tell you. So they go to a golfer in the middle of the fairway. I don't recognize him, so I set up my talkback button into the truck to Lance Barrel. I said, who is that? He said, the Frenchman. Something, you know, there's several Frenchmen here at the, the Masters. I said, which one? He said, Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> So shortly after that, we had a rain delay. We all had a, you know, it was the first round of the Masters. We all went into the compound for a few minutes. And Vern and I were talking about stuff like that, messing up names and embarrassing stories. And Vern told me a lot of very funny anecdotes about things that he had messed up that were embarrassing. And we go back uh, after about an hour of thunder and lightning. We're back in our towers. They resume golf. And you probably know the golfer, Stuart Sink. Stuart Sink. He was in contention. And they were, I was on my hole in the 16th hole, and they said my ear, throw it to Vern at 14. I said, let's go to Vern Lundquist at 14. And the first words out of Vern's mouth after the blooper talk and after the rain delay, when I said, let's go to 14, he said, where Seward Stink is putting for par. <laughs> so he's been mad at me ever since. He uh, blames me for putting all those uh, blooper thoughts in his head. Um, I want to commend you, Chuck. I know how hard it is to uh, MC these dinners, and you've proven that tonight. And uh, <laughs> the and Joe, that was a beautiful uh, introduction. To, uh, excuse me, Judge Troy. <laughs> in case I misbehave later tonight and wind up in your courtroom, but. Uh, That was a beautiful introduction, but you've certainly handed down sentences that weren't that long. Let's face facts. (laughs) Who else can I dump on? Who's out there? Mike Reese called me. I had heard about your banquet from Vern. I was excited when he called me. I was a little disappointed because when he started out, I thought he was engaging me in a conversation about the First Amendment. He said, uh, do you believe in free speech? I said, I'm a journalist. Of course I believe in free speech. He said, good, come to Appleton in January because you're going to give one. <laughs> so here I am, the midnight show in Appleton, in fact. It's a, an honor to share the dais with, with people I really admire. Uh, I've known Dave Collins a long time. Grew up watching uh, Dave play, obviously, as a lifelong Bostonian. Um, my parents actually had a similar experience to your, your mother uh, driving. Um, my, my dad uh, passed away about a year ago. and was a wonderful man and had a lot of friends who were here in the room. And I appreciate uh, all the nice wishes, and especially from the Packers. But he was a terrible driver, and one time uh, he and my mom were in the car, and uh, my dad got pulled over, and and he said to the officer, why'd you pull me over? He said, well, you were speeding. And my dad said, I don't believe I was. It's 35 miles an hour, and I was going 34. And my mother said, no, you weren't. You were going at least 45, and I told you to slow down, and don't don't give the officer a hard time. (laughs) So my dad kind of shot her a look, as, uh, as he could do in his South Boston Irish way. And then the police officer said I couldn't help but notice that uh, you don't have your seatbelt on. He said, well, I did have my seatbelt on, but uh, to get my license and registration out, I had to take it off. And my mother said, that That is not true. (laughs) Uh, Matter of fact, I've been telling you for three miles to put that seatbelt on and you you just wouldn't do it. So with that, my father turned to her and said, would you please shut up? And the officer leaned in the car and said, ma'am, does uh, your husband always talk to you like that? And she said, only when he's been drinking. (laughs) (laughs) And what you said about Herb Kohler was exactly right. I mean, the the lack of ego. And I think I did my part accidentally tonight to help that because uh, when I first got here and saw him surrounded by the TV camera, I said, wow, I can't believe he's here. And I went over and I said, "Uh, Mr. Rogers, I have all your records. And I... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I helped with the ego thing, you know. And I mean, it was a great speech and very interesting, but uh, anybody who plays golf with me and my buddies knows the synergy between toilets and golf. I can assure you of that. (laughs) I live in a golf, this is a golf crazy area. I read something like Wisconsin and Minnesota have the most golfers. uh, per capita on the most golf courses and I'm not surprised and you've got a lot of great courses in the state and none uh, better than yours, Mr. Kohler. We commend you because it is a, a masterpiece and I think it's going to be an unbelievable test of championship golf. But a lot of people ask me tonight how I got started in broadcasting. Uh, a lot of you probably want to know why I got started now after the, uh, this. but the um, I, I was a baseball player, minor league baseball player. Appreciate what you have here. and I knew it wasn't going to last very long when the they used to bring me into pitch in relief. You know, a lot of times during the breaks they would, uh, they bring out the, the rakes and the, they drag the infield, smooth out the bumps. When I would come in from the bullpen, the ground crew would rake the warning track uh, so that the outfielders didn't hurt themselves as they, uh, and then I get this uncontrollable twitch in my neck that went away. So they said, yeah, one last chance, but you gotta be a hitter cause you can't pitch. And um, I knew that that was coming to an end. I, I went up to bat, And, you know, it's a very small crowd. You could hear the transistor radios. I could even hear the announcer up in the booth. And I heard the the announcer through the transistors. I I wrote this down verbatim. Uh, As soon as McDonough makes the final out, we'll have the postgame show. (laughs) (laughs) So now I just play softball in South Boston with my Irish uh, Catholic, you know, it's a great Irish Catholic neighborhood, as you know. And an uh, interesting softball team. We have Jimmy Fitz, Billy Fitz, Bobby Fitz, Tommy Mac, Timmy Mac, Johnny Mac, Sully, 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 Sully. <laughs> a lot of Irish guys. So I had <laughs> I had to get out of playing and get into broadcasting. I started out doing minor league baseball, as Chuck said, an hour ago, uh, doing <laughs> making $14 a game. And, uh, That came back to haunt me Uh, early. I got off to a bad start in broadcasting, too. I was coming out of the park one night. I felt something on my back. Stick your hands up. This is a stick-up. I said, oh, come on, buddy. You know, I'm making $14 a game. I'm just a poor announcer. And the guy said, I know. I was listening to the game tonight. (laughs) I did make it onto the Red Sox uh, later on. It was a tough year to start. 1988, I started. That was the Wade boggs Margot Adams uh, relationship. And uh, a lot of tension on the Red Sox, a lot of tension. Um, I got in trouble early. Um, oil, we had a pitcher named Oil Can Boyd. And uh, he, in spring training in Winter Haven, Florida, forgot to return um, three movies to the video store. And as you can probably t- tell by now, maybe I'm a little bit of a smart guy. And uh, on the air, I referred to it as the Cannes Film Festival. And. Um, <laughs> So that got me in trouble. Um, (laughs) Oil Can pitched a game in Cleveland in the old ballpark before Jacob's Field. And uh, Dave will probably remember this. He was probably in Boston when it happened. And the fog came rolling in off Erie. Just came thick as pea soup. They stopped the game for about 45 minutes. And finally, the umps came out and they hit fungos up in the air and you couldn't see the ball, they called the game. Six inning game, official game, 2 nothing shutout for Oil Can. So we go down to interview Oil Can after the game and said, uh, what do you think about that development? He said, that's what happens when you build a ballpark right on the ocean. (laughs) He wasn't a geography major. Uh, We had our manager, Butch Hobson, one year I told him uh, during a little conversation before the game that I was doing, a football game that weekend. He said, they keep you busy. I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I've got to go to to uh, Lillehammer, Norway, where they're having the Olympics for the world bobsled and luge trials uh, on Thanksgiving weekend in Lillehammer, Norway. And Butch looked right at me and he said, that's in Sweden, isn't it? <laughs> so I knew we were in trouble with him. Our f- Previous manager was John McNamara, who I for two years called me Sean every day, and then I had him on a TV show, and he looked at the graphics, and uh, he said, "That's how you spell your name?" S-E-A-N. I said, "Yeah." We came on the show, I welcomed him, and nice to have you here, John. He said, "Well, seen, very, uh, very happy to be here." <laughs> I knew we had no future with him. We had the always interesting Roger Clemens. Who said he didn't like to be misinterpreted, or uh, obviously not at UWGB on one of your athletic programs or taken out of content, which I didn't uh, understand when he said that. I asked him one time about pitching on an extra day of rest. He said he didn't like it. It made him too erotic. And that first year, I'm working with a guy named Ned Martin who was a great broadcaster. God rest his soul. He just passed away about a year ago, too, and he should be in the uh, Hall of Fame. But he was a little mistake-prone at the end when when I was working with him. And one night, we're doing the game, and Roger Clemens, is in the early part of his career, just pitching great. And Ned said, you know, all the things I appreciate about Roger Clemens, I think the thing that I appreciate most is his work ethic. He is definitely an alcoholic. Name meant workaholic, but I'm I'm still not sure to this day. (laughs) My broadcasting idol was Harry Carey. Uh, And I know a lot of you people are Cub fans here and probably heard him say uh, these things. He just said things that, you know, those of us who have nowhere near his credentials or longevity wish we could say, but we couldn't. You, you remember the Cubs, uh, the White Sox, actually, when he was there, had a, an outfield of Pat Kelly, who was notorious for having a terrible throwing arm. And they had Walt No Neck Williams, who was a center fielder with uh, No Neck, And they had Carlos May, uh, who had had his thumb blown off in, in Vietnam. And Harry said, "You probably remember this. Right now, their outfield is no arm, no neck, and no thumb." You know. You're like, <laughs> and you remember he remember used to try to do the games out in the center field bleaches, really, so he could drink, I think, and get away with it. But the, this bud's for me, he used to say on the uh, the billboards. But. He had a hard enough time following the game when he was in the booth, right behind home plate, so he'd be out there in center field. I was watching the game one day, and Harry said, "Uh, swing and a miss. I Don't do an imitation of him, obviously, but swing and a miss. He struck him. No, it's a line drive to third, and it's caught. (laughs) And then Steve Stone chimed in, and he said, no, Harry, that was strike three, and then the catcher threw the ball down to third. (laughs) You know, Harry violated a lot of basic tenets of our business, like you don't chew uh, or cough while you're on, or clear your throat all the time. You know, while you're on the air, you're <laughs> you know, you, you, know you, you people watched him. So uh, finally, the guy who was engineering the radio got got tired of Harry uh, coughing on the air. And you know, you're, you're the engineer; it's your that's your responsibility, the technical part. So he went to Harry He said, "We're going to devise a, a system when your microphone is on this." light bulb right in front of you is going to light up, and you just talk away. And when you want to cough or clear your throat, you just raise your hand. I'll kill your microphone. That light goes off. Clear your throat. Raise your hand again. I turn your mic on. The light bulb comes on. Go. System works great for weeks. One night, Harry's doing the game. He raises his hand. The light bulb doesn't go off. He wants to cough. Raises his hand again. The light bulb doesn't go off. He turns around. The engineer's not there. So Harry unscrew the light bulb. <laughs> Coughed into the microphone. And uh, kept going. <coughs> we have a lot in common, uh, we New Englanders, and uh, you folks in this part of the country, not the least of which is, uh, is the weather. And I think we, we've had our coldest winter in memory uh, in Boston. And I think it's a good omen. I got an email the other day uh, that gives us hope. Uh, it tells you what happens when the temperature gets to certain degrees. Dave was just trimming his, his plants. At uh, 60 above zero, the Floridians turn on the heat. People in New England go out and plant their garden. At 50 above, Californians shiver and control the, uh, people in New England sunbathe. At 40 above, English and Italian cars won't start. People in New England drive with the windows down. At 20 above, Floridians don thermal underwear, hats, coats, and gloves. People in New England throw on a flannel shirt. At 15 above zero, New York landlords finally turn on the heat. People in New England have a cookout, the last one before it really gets cold. At zero, people in Miami die. New Englanders close the windows. 10 below zero, Californians go to Mexico. People in New England get out their winter coats. At 25 below, Hollywood disintegrates. Girl Scouts in New England sell cookies door to door. At 40 below, Washington DC runs out of hot air. People in New England let the dogs sleep inside. At 100 below, Santa Claus finally abandons the North Pole while people in Boston get frustrated because the car won't start. At 275 below, that's when all atomic motion stops absolute zero on the Kelvin scale. People in New England start saying, is it cold enough for you? And at 500 below zero, hell freezes over. But here's the good news, folks. The Red Sox or the Brewers win the World Series. I really admire what you're doing. I think this event is incredible, the magnitude and scope of it, and most importantly, what you do with it. Uh, I don't think there's much more that we can do in our society than to do things that help the young people of our country. And I'd heard so much about the warmth and friendliness of the people in this area, and I certainly have not been disappointed. If anything, you've uh, lived up to that expectation and beyond. So thank you so much for honoring me uh, by allowing me to be here tonight. God bless you.
0: Hey Newsicast listeners, welcome to everybody's favorite segment, the forgotten and never Forgotten.
2: Hey, there we it's go. It's a segment
0: where we Yeah, we just want to we just want to throw some things out there that we like, dislike, and uh kind of give it a silly name. So Joe, what what have you
2: what do you wanna what have you forgotten? Oh, Tash, what I want forgotten and, and oh, do I want this forgotten? It's the ice. My goodness, Tash, this has been a brutal, brutal week. We we all it it's difficult to drive, it's difficult to walk, it's difficult to live. This ice is just nuts, and and look, I get it. It was the absolute worst combination. You you have a blizzard following by by brutal freezing, and and nothing mm-hmm. we can do to 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 get rid of this. It's just glaze ice, but. Dang! I've, I've diggered twice on my bike. I've darn near diggered walking. It's just give me some heat tash, get this ice off the road, ice off the sidewalks, you got off it the coming. steps. Yeah, I know it's coming tomorrow but, already. Oh, can't come soon enough. Next
0: two weeks, I don't think we're supposed to have highs out of the 30s. So
2: I I understand that the, the chemistry behind all this and and you know you know why stuff doesn't melt at, at certain temperatures. I guess it just proves that Mother Nature always wins, but Dude, how can we not have something that can penetrate when the temperature hits 0 we still can't melt well, ice? I just Come we on. We do. It's
0: not it's not melting it, but it helps is using sand. But the city does not like to use sand because it's supposedly bad for their their systems. Now if you go down to Madison, they use tons of sand and the sand is all compacted into the into the snow and they have a pack of snow on most of the streets, but Um, It's wasn't as, we were were down there yesterday and uh, it wasn't as slippery because all that sand's in there and it kind of keeps, kind of gives it traction. But for some reason, I I heard that um, it has something to do with our wastewater and the storm sewers and the sand getting into stuff that it's not good for their system or it's not built for that. So they don't like to use sand here in Appleton.
2: So you bring up an interesting point and I have thought about this twice and and I've thought about it extremely hard as i was on my way to the pavement on my bike at intersections but mind you you're absolutely right why I, okay I, I i love the environment but why can we not put down sand at least at a few of the intersections the major intersections right. where there's a lot of traffic i it was funny or well, it wasn't funny whatever day we had a lot of snow um I happened to be over by Appleton West, and right at 3 30, mm-hmm. as, as school was being let out, you could hear sirens going everywhere because they were kids were just getting in accidents. They were sliding oh, everywhere. Yeah. You, you had no control, and it's still like that. And I, I don't yeah. want to harp on the city of Appleton. Those, those guys and girls bust their they work their, their butts hinder. off. Absolutely. Absolutely. But come on, man. We got to throw some sand down. <laughs> All right, well. It's forgotten, Tash. At least it's forgotten yeah. in my world. My my knee hasn't forgotten it yet, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm forgetting it. But uh, how about you, Tash? What's all forgotten right. in your world? Well, I'm just
0: going back to the Packer game, <laughs> and it's just it's just armchair quarterback. I mean, they play great, and all these people are you know you hear you hear both sides. You know they they're playing on borrowed money and everything else and the house money and but you you hear yeah we told you that you know. Packers aren't good enough to play against San Francisco. And to be honest, just, you know, I, I I would just like to hear some positivity once in a while. Maybe I'm just getting to that point where I'm sick of all the negative stuff. They played their butts off. They gave us another week of the season. It was fun. Um, now move on to next season. I mean, they, they have expectations to live up to now next season. So those armchair quarterbacks, those negative, you know, I told you that blah, blah, blah. It's just a... Uh, Getting sick of it. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, me too. It's actually turns you off a little bit from sports. Maybe even the older you get, just, you, you can only take so much armchair quarterback and there's so much that goes into everything for, for sure. All these decisions, but you know, I mean, if you look at the positive Jordan love had a great year, I mean, I th- I think I yeah. can't think anything with positive things for him. I mean, the team is young. There, there are a lot of positives, but right. if you look at history and you look at the cold, hard facts. That game was won. They should have won that game. I don't care how oh, yeah. young they are. I don't care who they're playing. Yet You're in the red zone three times and you can't score. You get a couple of field goals. You have a pick six yeah. in your hands. You can't. I mean, you, history shows us that you don't get these opportunities too often. And for whatever reason, Packers have two Super Bowl wins in the last 32, 30 years or plus, but they have a hell of a lot of gut-wrenching defeats and I would consider this mm-hmm. one of them right up there with Seattle in the onside kick right up there with a 4th and 26 right up there with the you know Terrell Owens 49ers you know catch them. in the 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 list is endless of these gut-wrenching losses by the Packers and and in my eyes this is one of them unexpected that they were in this round playing but they were a hot team that that, that should have won that game and and unfortunately they they didn't and you know yeah the future Look, looks bright but you just never know. You just you, you can't give
0: you can't let teams in it. You have to step step on the gas and you give a team too many chances, they're gonna come back to bite you. So yeah
2: dang Tash, oh, well. you, you're getting me preaching on the on this segment here. I'm just fired up <laughs> on some of this stuff.
0: There you go. <laughs> All right well Let's get off of that. What are you never forgetting? We'll get on a happier note
2: here. <laughs> oh, as my phone locks up on me, Tash, I'm I'm never forgetting that I have a bad memory, that's for sure. But <laughs> no, I'm I'm what I what I'm never forgetting, it, it, and it happened to me today we've talked about this before, but I love doing this podcast and just the rush of doing the podcast. You and I have, we, we talked before we hit record tonight. We have a lot of exciting uh, interviews coming up. A couple of them, we're just kind of working out logistically. I think we're going to go on the road for one. I just love that hustle and that, just the, the mind of just, just doing this project. It's, it's, it's so much fun. So I know I've used this one before and and I don't want to retread old ideas but it just it hit me again today as, as kind of stuff was unfolding that i just love the rush of doing this podcast it's a lot of fun
0: there you go very nice yeah i i would agree with you joe it has been good um we've had we've had some amazing stories some very interesting people on the show so hopefully uh those continue and uh, we keep Keep uh, producing some good stuff for uh, all the listeners out there.
2: Uh, we definitely will. If, if today's any indication, we're, we're we're doing all right. Some some exciting things in the future. So, good, Tosh, for you, what are you never forgetting?
0: Well, I said earlier that we were down in Madison yesterday for hockey. And I just tell you what, I I know this is the new CICAS in this Northeast Wisconsin, but I, I love Madison. There's just something about Madison that's a cool vibe, college yeah. town. And you know, we went down early. We... We hit Trader Joe's. We hit a really cool little brewery, had lunch. Um, then we went to um, see some games, and the the boys were playing at the Hartmeyer Ice Arena, which was originally built in 1963 for, for actually the Badgers. They played four seasons at that arena. It still feels like it's 1963 in that arena. <laughs> nice. But um, it's, uh, you know, Madison just has a cool vibe. Even... You know, it was a beautiful day yesterday. It wasn't too windy, and it was nice and sunny. There's tons of people out on the lake ice fishing, and um, you know, it's it's a fun it's a fun city. Um, maybe I don't want to live there necessarily, but it's definitely a fun city to visit.
2: I you no, know, I absolutely agree. Even the restaurants, the bars, just just yeah. everything is fun. The college certainly adds to it, but absolutely, just the landscape of that town is really cool, isn't it? With the hills and the lakes, and just mm-hmm. the, the it's it's. It's a biker-friendly town, a walking-friendly town. Yeah. I, yeah, I love Madison. I love that part of the state, just the rolling hills. It's uh, it's so absolutely. much different than it is up here.
0: Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It's getting into that driftless area of the state, which is a whole other geology lesson that I'll stay away from right now.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, Tashna that sounds good. I'm actually going down to Madison on Friday to, to catch Badger games. so i'll uh nice. i'm gonna get in that town as well and enjoy their their sand on their intersections and not slide through them oh, so
0: by, by uh by friday you should be good that's good.
2: <laughs> yes we Definitely. can't wait we can't wait so <laughs> well it's forgetting and i'm never forgotten or i think i screwed it up again but you know the yeah, point it's forgotten tosh.
0: and never forgetting but that's okay
2: <laughs> thanks tosh Thank
0: you for listening to another great episode of the Newsicast. We'd really appreciate it if you hit up our social pages, subscribe, like, follow, and don't be afraid to engage. Head over to our YouTube channel to get exclusive content, like the full interviews and speeches from the past Red Smith banquets.
2: for listening to the NoosaCast we really appreciate your support if you haven't subscribed yet please do so and tell a friend a huge thank you to Digstown for all the music in today's episode catch a gig or find them on Spotify help us grow by subscribing wherever you get your pods or sharing the NoosaCast follow us on Facebook X TikTok or Instagram. One of the best ways to help us grow is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Northeastern Wisconsin Sports Advancement is a 501 organization. Our mission is to raise money, provide support, and bring greater awareness for youth sports organizations in Northeast Wisconsin. We do this primarily through the Red Smith Sports Award Banquet and the NoosaCast. Each year, we give back to the community through three initiatives, the Every Kid Plays Grant, the Gives Back Initiative, and scholarships to student athletes.